Welcome to the Helping Couples Heal podcast, a place for healing and hope for couples impacted by betrayal resulting from infidelity and or sex addiction. Your hosts are Marnie Breaker and Dwayne Osterland, licensed marriage and family therapists, certified sex addiction therapists, and founders of respective treatment centers in Long Beach, Los Angeles, and San Diego, California. Marnie and Dwayne co-created Helping Couples Heal, a comprehensive program for couples recovering from betrayal trauma, including an in-person two-day workshop, an online aftercare program, and this podcast series is the first component of the program. Thank you for listening. Marnie and Dwayne are committed to helping you recover from the devastating impact of betrayal trauma and are honored to support you wherever you may be in your healing. If you've lost hope, you've come to the right place. Now, take a slow, deep breath, and let's begin with the Helping Couples Heal podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Helping Couples Heal podcast. This is Marnie and Dwayne, and we are here today to talk about something that comes up very often um, in our Facebook group and in our therapy groups and in our coaching groups and within the CSAT and betrayal trauma community, uh, which is the, the idea of a therapeutic separation. And this is this can be a bit of a, a tough topic for people because um, often when it's introduced, it can be very scary. You know, many uh, many partners feel that they were already abandoned, right, by the addiction or by the acting out, you know, and um, don't necessarily like the idea of a therapeutic separation. It can, it can sound threatening. Um, and sometimes they, they, they can think, well, it gives, it gives my partner the opportunity now to just check out and not have to be here and not have to, you know, deal with the mess um, that's been created. And all of that makes sense. And I can understand why somebody would think any of those things. But I, basically, we're here today to talk about the therapeutic separation and sort of debunk some of the myths and share some of the benefits and just really get into it so that people have a better understanding of why the therapeutic separation can be a really great intervention when couples are healing from betrayal trauma. Yeah, I am definitely glad we're going to talk about this topic because it almost always comes up when dealing with couples who are struggling with betrayal because there's a lot of trauma sometimes there's a lot of activation and it can be pretty overwhelming when you're going through that like you said this can be a really good intervention and uh, really help a relationship heal absolutely and i think when people ask well when is it appropriate to do a therapeutic separation like why would we right I think that's right. a good place to start. And what I would say is that there are lots of couples that will find themselves stuck. We've actually, we just talked about, remember we did like a whole episode recently about being stuck. And when a couple finds themselves stuck, sometimes staying together will actually hurt their chances of repairing the marriage later, right? Sometimes it's it, because it's so high conflict or there is so much ambivalence about the relationship or there's abuse going on, ongoing active abuse going on in the home. So really, I think the first point that we want to make here is that the therapeutic separation is actually meant to help the couple. It's, it's meant to be a helpful therapeutic process as, as opposed to some kind of punishment or trying to separate the couple. It's all meant to be done with a therapeutic intent. Right. Absolutely. And I think that's a really good point around looking at what are some of the reasons we're going to do this, because 
you have some couples who have so much emotional intensity that they can't get settled enough to do the healing work, right? And so sometimes a therapeutic separation can help with that. But I definitely think it has to be done with a lot of guidance and a lot of help to define what that is. And sometimes sometimes a therapeutic separation is also important when, th- when there's family members in the house, whether it be children or even adult parents and others who are being impacted by the level of conflict in the home, right? Um, and if there is a lot of ongoing fighting and there's young children in the home or even teenagers that can really kind of pick up on all of that. And, um, and it really is starting to create other problems with other family members, mental health is- issues, anxiety, stress, fear. Sometimes that's another indication that it's a good opportunity to take a, a therapeutic break. And oftentimes people say, well, what, what is a therapeutic separation? That word, that, that phrase gets thrown out so often, right? So right. let's just define it. So a therapeutic separation is essentially terminating the cohabitation process between a couple with an agreement to not discuss a final decision about the relationship until the therapeutic separation is over and the couple can come back and make a decision together. So it's essentially a moratorium on making a decision about staying or going. Right. And it can give everybody involved some breathing room to think, especially if both partners are really activating to each other. Mm-hmm. And there maybe there's a lot of attachment trauma that's being activated and they can't get settled enough to be able to do that work. They get, get really stuck. Absolutely. And sometimes for some relationships can get really scared about doing this process. Like Mm -hmm. if we split up this way, then the relationship is over and it's done and we're never going to be back together. But often that's not the case. If both people are willing to look at the relationship and, and are interested in saving the relationship, sometimes that space can be really helpful. But I would say the way we look at it, there's still a relational component to it. That separation is done together, which it sounds weird. How do you do a separation together? But you both work on defining what that's going to look like and be and the time frame, and usually done with either a therapist or a coach that can help you, you do that together and set those parameters so that there's a clear understanding. It's not just about abandoning the relationship and leaving. There is a structure in this process. And that's why we would call it an intervention. Uh, there's an intent behind it. Right. This is different from a separation where there's a clearly no contact, no therapy. Somebody really just wants to complete break from the other person. And that's a separation. But the therapeutic part is the fact that we're really encouraging counseling and couples therapy and some sort of contact and communication between the parties. Right. Because that creates a containment for all of this activity that's going on, all of the emotions, all of the uncertainty in a therapeutic separation, you can contain it. I've worked with a lot of couples that have had a therapeutic separation that has lasted a couple months to a year. And it has been really beneficial because they both got some breathing room, like we were saying earlier, to be able to understand their own trauma, to develop emotion regulation skills where they don't have so much intensity that they're just out of their window of emotional tolerance. And so it creates that container. Absolutely. Oftentimes people want to know, well, how long should the therapeutic separation be? 
you know, I'm scared. I'm willing to do it, but I'm scared. I don't want this to go on forever. And I think it's important to have a specific amount of time. And I personally say a minimum of 30 days. Um, I, I think 60 days is probably um, more common, but I think you can start at 30 days. And I, you know, you just said that you had a couple that did it for a year. I've seen that as well. I, I think that generally I like to see the therapeutic separation end around six months. But like everything else in this process, there's really no clear cut formula across the board that's right for everybody. That's right. That's why you need that help and that discernment from individuals who understand how to do this so that you can you can look at it and be able to build it and evaluate it as it goes. So could start it doing 30 days of having this structured separation. And we're going to talk a little bit about what that structure might look like coming up, but you could have 30 days of that and then reevaluate and maybe it's 60 days and then reevaluate. Maybe it's 90 days. Mm -hmm. And then maybe through this process, there's a slow coming together with a little bit more interaction as you build the skills, as you're able to move through the process as, as both people in the relationships are building those those relational skills and having the space to do it, you, you can start to come back together. So it can be a really powerful tool. Yeah. And as a therapist, I can say one of the, the challenges for me, I don't know how you feel about this, Dwayne, is that oftentimes when I truly believe with everything in me that a therapeutic separation would be helpful for a couple and one or both of the people are so afraid and they refuse. And, you know, I'm sitting in the position of objectivity right? Which the couple doesn't have, which makes sense. They are, they are in so much fear about the relationship, so much pain, so much trauma. And that's a tough thing when you know as the therapist or you truly believe that the therapeutic separation can be a helpful intervention. It can really help the couple down the road. It can provide the necessary safety and the necessary structure to really bring them back together later. But having to talk to the couple and work through the fear and work through the concerns and then also navigate and the, the negotiation of what the therapeutic separation agreement will look like, that has to happen. So I do think that when a couple is even first thinking about the possibility of doing this, that they understand that there it, it's not something that just happens. It's not just one day, one person moves out and, and that's the end right? They don't talk for 30 days or 60 days. It has to be planned. It has to be negotiated and it has to be done together. And that's really where, as we said before, having a professional therapist or coach to guide a couple through this agreement and really break it down and look at the different areas and come to conclusions and agreements about things. And then, as you said, renegotiate as necessary. As time goes by, maybe you change some of those agreements, you know, you modify things and it can look different as you move on. You know, for some people, the truth is that a month or two in a, in a separation, a therapeutic separation gives one or both parties the confirmation they needed to end the relationship. And that does happen. Yeah. Right. And that's okay because everything about this whole process is about helping the individuals and the couple make the best decision for them. Right. And right. staying together is not necessarily the best. Absolutely. And staying together could be the most fantastic decision for one couple and it could be the worst decision for another couple. So just taking space can be so helpful. But at the same time, I think it's important to recognize that dialectic of we're telling people to take space when what they're desperately wanting more than anything on some level is to connect. Right. That's confusing to navigate. And I think that's part of the 
overwhelm that happens in betrayal trauma, that desire to be close and at the same time being activated by the trauma. And sometimes it's just so intense that couples have a hard time navigating it and having that space to breathe and slow the whole process down and and in some ways control the interactions so that they can be more relational in this process can help too. So a lot of times when we're looking at a separation, there may be some kind of interaction in that separation. Like maybe they start and they're separated. Maybe they're completely in different places, living in different places, but they're coming together to meet with their couples coach or therapist to talk about their goals and, and what they're doing. And that might be that relational component for that moment. And it might be contained enough that they can do it. And then as they move through that process, they may then decide, you know what, we're going to meet outside of the therapeutic relationship with with a therapist because we're more regulated now. So we're going to go and have lunch together and see how that goes. And so it really offers that structure to slowly reintegrate that relationship back together and gives both people the room to practice their skill set, their new relational skill set to be able to make repair. Right. So I think one of the questions we have to ask is what do some of these therapeutic separations look like? What is some of the structure? So that's a great question. So that's where the agreement comes in, right? Like if you're going to have a therapeutic separation, um, there needs to be a therapeutic separation agreement. And I just want to say um, before we start about uh, talking about that is that that this agreement is not a legal document, right? It is, and this is not a legal separation that we're talking about. So just really want to make sure that that's very clear. It's a document that just helps the couple address the issues that they're working on and the specifics about the therapeutic separation. And the document can include all sorts of things, but in In a nutshell, I think what's probably most important is the duration of the therapeutic separation. When are we going to start this and when are we going to end it? That would probably be the best place to start. And then what's the purpose? I think really having the couple spell out, why are we doing this? So they have to put into words that there's abuse and actually acknowledge it, right? Or that there's a real lack of integrity, or there's ongoing gaslighting, or there's ongoing acting out, or that there's abuse coming from the partner, maybe, right? Right, yeah, absolutely. Or, or that there's there's neglect. Maybe there is, um, I mean, there's so many different things can, that can lead a couple down this path. So for them to have to put down very clearly the reasons why they are utilizing this intervention, I think is really, really important. And then also addressing, well, how are we going to know if there's been the kind of change that we need in order to make a decision at the end of this, that we want to stay together, or how are we going to know when this is over that we want to divorce? So really getting clear about those specific issues and writing them down. Yeah. Putting a lot of thought into them so that they're clear and concrete. And that can be really, really challenging because these situations are also fluid as we grow and we change, we're learning stuff about ourselves and the relationship. And so it's a very dynamic situation. Yeah. One thing that we say over and over again is that what's best for one person is not for another. And what a therapeutic separation agreement will look like for one couple could look very, very, very different for another couple. So, you know, there's really no right or wrong here. It's about 
getting the help that you need and as a couple sitting down and navigating this together and having it be very clear and very structured because without the, the structure and, and the clarity, it's it can actually feel incredibly threatening and can feel abandoning. Absolutely. And I think that part of planning it and building it is the intervention. It's a big part of that intervention. It's not just the time away. It's the it's the collaboration of of both people coming together to to negotiate that is part of the therapeutic process. Absolutely. So so let's get really clear. Let's break it down in concrete terms. What are some of the things that we encourage a couple to address in their agreement when considering a therapeutic separation? So we said we said earlier the length of the separation, the start and the end date, what specific things need to change before it makes sense to move back in together. And we recommend strongly that that the couple evaluate and discuss this with a therapist or coach before ending the separation and just moving back in together. Or on the other on the other hand, also before just deciding we're getting a divorce and it's over, right? So kind of keeping it within that within the therapeutic context and using the therapy to make decisions. Right. And I would say another thing that really needs to be thought out is for the person who's been betrayed, what is the requirements to help them feel safe? What is the person who's done the betrayal? What work are they going to be doing? Are they going to be in therapy? Are they going to be in 12 steps? What is their therapeutic life look like, which can help the partner feel that this is safer to do that, right? Because a lot of partners, they're they're very scared. If if I'm not mm-hmm. a, and if I'm not around them all the time, they're going to be acting out. They're going to be doing all this stuff. So there's those concerns. So where is your accountability? All of that needs to be laid out. Yeah. So the plans for counseling very important for that to be laid out, and then also addressing any the financial aspects of the relationship as well as the living arrangement. Like both people need to be comfortable about the living arrangement. A lot of partners do not feel comfortable with their with their partner who has been acting out sexually and keeping all of these sexual secrets going and staying at a hotel or there there's just certain things that would be triggers. So really again the couple hopefully coming together to navigate what feels comfortable for us, what what feels best. Not just deciding we're going to get a therapeutic, you know, separation and I'll figure it out. But whoever's going to be leaving the house needs to have a plan and the other person hopefully we'll be comfortable with that. Yeah. And so that needs to be addressed as as well as also, again, financially, who's going to be handling the bills? What bills are people going to be handling? Just getting really clear on how the business of the house is going to be managed during this separation. And I'd also say another really important part of it is the level of communication they have with each other. Are we having no communication unless we're with a coach and a therapist in the beginning? Or are we texting about, uh, maybe they have kids, so they have to text about kids. Maybe that's the only level of communication they have. So deciding what that level is, is is very important as well. Are we going to talk about recovery topics outside of therapy? Are we going to do a, a, a recovery couples check-in? All of those things have to be decided as well. Yeah, and 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 decided with specificity. So it really needs to be clear and agreed upon in advance. And you know, those things also can be if you're if you are doing weekly therapy or coaching, the couples counselor or coach, then that can again be readdressed at a session. 
but really sticking to the plan and deciding in advance, what dates are we going to see each other? Are we going to be doing a date night? Are we not going to be doing a date night? Just getting as clear as you possibly can about that. Also, another one, addressing the, um, the idea of sexual interaction. Are we going to be celibate during this time or are we going to engage with one another sexually? And being clear about that and not making impulsive decisions that then can be looked upon as, as a mistake or can be further, tra- further traumatizing later. So getting clear and really talking it through with your, uh, the professional that you're working with, is it a good idea? Is it in our best interest to be sexual or should we really put a moratorium on that during the separation process? Yeah. And I think, you know, as we're talking about this, it's also about building that scaffolding to help the relationship heal in doing a therapeutic separation you're really being very, very intentional about the interactions you both are having in the relationship. And once again, that adds that scaffolding that may be needed if the relationship is really having a hard time with the the trauma and a hard time with the shame and all of that. Absolutely. So let's, let's talk about if kids are involved. You know, part of the separation process, the therapeutic separation process does impact children if children are in the house. So plans for discussing the separation with the children is really important. Again, coming together as a couple to determine how are we going to tell them and what are we going to tell them? And then making the arrangements around each parent planning to spend time with the kids, right? Like how are you going to do that? And and making a plan and being very clear and intentional before talking to the kids so that when you show up to talk to the kids, you're a united front and you have a plan. Because if you give them a plan, you can really, really de-escalate anxiety and help them feel more comfortable, maybe even hopeful and positive about the separation. Yeah. Having that structure and that scaffolding definitely creates more of a sense of safety. Which is that what we're talking about requires a certain level of emotional regulation within the coupleship. It requires an ability for the couple to come together and make these decisions together. The truth is there are a lot of couples out there that are actually not in a place to be able to have these conversations, sadly, where one uh, one of the partners is out of, out of the window of tolerance, completely activated, dysregulated, maybe um, emotionally abusive, and there's no opportunity to come together. And I, I, I will say that I see this dynamic happen a lot with partners, partners feeling like the person who's betrayed them is sort of like checked out, is angry, is, you know, sort of engaging in all of those integrity behaviors that lack of integrity behaviors that we talk about, right? So instead of showing up actively in the relationship and trying to help the partner heal and being a real participant in that process, they're transferring blame, they're getting angry, they're checking out, they're refusing to communicate in a healthy way. And so I just wanted to acknowledge that because in those cases, then you can still do a therapeutic separation or a separation, but it's going to look very different because again, the safety, the safety that is needed for a healthy therapeutic separation comes from the ability to make this agreement together. So, so I just want to say it's going to look different. It's not to say that if you don't have a a partner who's a participant in this process, that that means you're stuck. No, you can still do the therapeutic agreement. What What I would say to those people is that the best plan there is to agree to separate, 
and not cohabitate together and just agree on being able to come together once a week to see your couple's coach or your couple's therapist so that you can then try to work on these different agreements. And the truth is, if you have a partner who's just not willing to do that, then at that point, I think it's important to look at, well, I don't know if a therapeutic, there's nothing therapeutic about this separation and maybe really look about, look at separating, leaving the relationship because you can't be therapeutic when you don't have people that are actively participating in the therapeutic process. And, and that's also goes into that topic of which maybe we should do another episode about this as well. Uh, having those boundaries and setting boundaries for the relationship, good relationships have boundaries. And if someone in the relationship can't follow those relationship boundaries, then it's going to be really hard for the relationship to work. And so sometimes that therapeutic separation can just be a boundary because the other person in the relationship can't come to that agreement or doesn't want to work on that agreement. And yeah, you might have to come to setting boundaries about it. So something I've seen in some other therapists, therapeutic separation agreement has to do with the partners deciding if they're going to date other people during the separation. So I wanted to mention that because I I do know that other people include it. I will say for me generally, because I'm doing this in the context of working with couples who really are trying to make a decision about whether they will reconcile, I discourage people from dating during this time. Because I think that if you're dating during this time, then it's not really using the time as as a therapeutic process with your partner to actually look at the relationship. So again, I'm not saying that I'm right or wrong, you know, or that we're right or wrong. Um, People do it differently and that can be a part of this process. So I wanted to mention it. Yeah, I would probably fall into your camp, Marnie. Like if you're here for the relationship, making that decision, you're either in the relationship or you're out. It's hard to have both. And when I say in the relationship, I don't want to say you you can't have doubts about the relationship or you can't be sure, but you, you're in a place of a willingness to explore that. Um, I understand there's nuances to that as well. It's not black and white, but yeah, I, I would fall in your camp. Yeah. You know, I will tell you, I have heard countless times over the years from partners. I just think I should go out and find someone to have an affair with, right? Maybe I should just do that. And then maybe, maybe that'll make make my partner feel bad, or maybe they'll understand what they've done to me. And I, I get that impulsive thought, right? I get why somebody would think that, you know, when we're hurt, uh, really hurt, and we're angry, right? We, we, that's where the idea of revenge comes in. And that's how, how come a lot of people in their minds play out revenge fantasies. But in the context of really healing from betrayal trauma, what I would say is that's not the answer. I do not think that the outcome of choosing to go out and have a one night stand or develop a relationship with somebody outside of your relationship or have sex outside of the relationship. I, I have not seen that work um, in a way that's benefited the couple. And I think that what I've, what I've most often seen is the person who's done that end up feeling really, really badly about their choices and the decisions that they've made, because it's not in in congruence with their own values. So I guess the last couple of things that I think are really important to include in this agreement would be, is there anything which could happen to cause one or both of you to end the separation and proceed immediately to divorce and to really be specific about that? Right. Right. Get as clear as you possibly can. And then 
what changes, I think you said this earlier, Dwayne, but just going to repeat it because it's so important. What changes will each spouse need to make to renew their marriage commitment at the end of the the therapeutic separation? Right. Absolutely. And that's something that they can build together. And I've even had clients who are in that therapeutic separation, defining that together as they're there, being able to kind of say, this is the relationship we want to create. And this is where we need to be. And sometimes that process can be done through the therapeutic separation because there's so much activation in the beginning that they don't have room to kind of think of what the relationship might look like or how do we build the the relationship in a way that's meaningful for everybody involved in the relationship, the betrayer and the betrayed. And so once again, I think this therapeutic separation can help facilitate that process. I agree. And I hope that this is helpful. I want to say this is a tough topic to talk about because uh, we do recognize that it can be, as we said, we started with this, you know, it could be so scary for a partner who has been betrayed and abandoned and neglected to then be told, okay, now we're going to separate the two of you. And often a partner's reaction and response, which is no way, can ultimately be a real, um, it could be a disadvantage or a disservice to the relationship in the long run. And so that's where having really qualified professionals that can help guide you and help you make these decisions and do the, do it in a way that feels as safe as, as possible. It's just so important. So my, my hope for all of you listening is that you are able to find your way if you have not already into the offices or, you know, virtual offices these days of, of qualified professionals who can help you. Absolutely. This is a, this is definitely a difficult topic and, and complicated. And also you guys, this is just part one of this conversation. We're going to have a part two where we're going to bring a partner and or a couple on who have gone through the therapeutic separation agreement process and are going to share their experience, what was helpful, what was not helpful, what was the outcome of their experience, and hopefully give you more of a an insider's glimpse into what life might look like inside of a therapeutic separation. Yeah, I'm very excited for that because I think hearing real world examples can be enlightening and extremely helpful. So once again, thank you everybody for listening to the Helping Couples Heal podcast. We really appreciate it. And we have one favor to ask, please rate and review us in iTunes. That does help a lot of people find this information. So if that fits for you, leave us a review. All right, everybody take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Helping Couples Heal podcast, where your healing is the number one priority. If you'd like additional resources about betrayal trauma or to learn more about the workshop, please visit helpingcouplesheal.com. If you're finding the podcast helpful, please support Dwayne and Marnie in continuing to reach others impacted by betrayal trauma. If you are finding the podcast helpful, Please support Marnie and Duane in continuing to reach others impacted by betrayal trauma by leaving a review on iTunes and sharing this podcast with someone you care about. Once again, thank you for listening. We're grateful for your trust and look forward to continuing to support you on your journey of healing.